Have you ever been in a position where you were called on unexpectedly to lead? I remember the first time I served a church as a pastor, it's like 15 years ago, I was um, an associate pastor, a youth pastor, sort of the do whatever the senior pastor doesn't want to do pastor. And um, when I got there, the senior pastor gave me a piece of advice. He said, you need to always be ready to preach. Have a sermon, have a message in your pocket just in case. You never know. And that sounded like great advice. Thank you so much. You know, you hear good advice. You're like, okay, sure, uh-huh. Well, about six months into my tenure there, I was in my office one Sunday morning. I get there early just to get ready for the day, and I had, you know, my responsibilities to take care of, and my phone rings. And it's the senior pastor. And you know what he said. <laughs> Not going to be there this morning. Not feeling well. Go get him, Tiger. <laughs> and I had... Halfway taken in his advice, so I sort of had half a message planned. Now, I had preached already there a couple of times. I mean, he was gracious to, you know, allow me in the pulpit. I don't know if you're into this sort of secret about churches and pastors and associate pastors. Typically, the associate pastors preach on those Sundays when they don't expect anybody to show up. So, you know, <laughs> those are the Sundays I had filled in so far at that church until that morning. And so I hang up the phone with him, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then all the feelings come, you know, like, this is my moment. Yeah. <laughs> and then quickly that subsided to, and gave way to fear <laughs> and anxiousness. Oh my goodness, what if I run everybody off <laughs> and he comes back next Sunday and there's nobody here. And so I took a minute, prayed, pulled my notes and thoughts together did my best to listen for God in that moment, listen even for the people and what I knew of them and where we were and their lives, and went out and did my best. You know, and, I, and it wasn't great. I know. I remember I, I was preaching about uh, when Peter w was called by Jesus out of the boat and walked on the water. I'm pretty sure I called him Paul a few times when I was talking. <laughs> the people were gracious, and, you know, they looked over all of that. And in fact, when we were done and I was at the back door and people were leaving, I had several people say, that's the best we've ever heard you preach. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to take that, you know, because the other ones I'd worked real hard on and prepared and all that kind of stuff, which, by the way, that's why to this day I don't ever prepare for a message on Sundays. I just, <laughs> kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding about that. It was not that obvious. Come on, I was kidding. I was kidding. But that's really, that's the story of Moses in a way. I mean, Moses was called on by God unexpectedly. To lead, to lead the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And when you read the story of Moses in Exodus, you find immediately that he knew he was unlikely as a leader and called to lead in very unlikely circumstances and unlikely ways. And he starts this conversation with God by objecting, by going through all the reasons why he shouldn't be the one that God uses in this way. And so a couple of weeks ago when we kicked off this series we've called unlikely. That's what we read about. We read about Moses' conversation with God at the burning bush and how he dealt with doubt as a leader and how God's response to him was, Moses, I'm God. I am the I am, and I've called you, and I'll be with you. And then last week, we followed Moses' story 
as he learned another unlikely leadership lesson about speaking truth to power. Because God had called him to go to the most powerful person on the planet at that time, the Pharaoh, and speak God's truth to Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And we found that being a leader doesn't mean you have power. And having power doesn't make you a leader. But it was Moses being who God called him to be, saying what God called him to say at that moment where he was, even to the power. And so this week, we're continuing in the story of Moses. And we've followed now, in in Exodus, you would have followed, if you were reading uh, through the book of Exodus, you'd have found them, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, across the Red Sea or the Reed Sea when the water was parted, into the desert, and ultimately to Mount Sinai, which is where we find them today. Mount Sinai was the mountain where God had originally spoken to Moses through the burning bush and told Moses, I'll bring you back to this place one day with the people of Israel as proof that I am your God and that I've called you to this. And so we find Moses now back at Mount Sinai with the people of Israel And Mount Sinai would be the place where Moses would encounter God again and have conversation, personal conversation with God. God said, Moses, I will call you up onto the mountain. You'll come up here to meet with me and I'll I'll talk with you and I'll give you instructions for the people and you'll take them back down and share them with the people. And God's presence rested on Mount Sinai in the form of a cloud that covered the mountain so that you couldn't even see the top. And then they would hear the booming thunder and the lightning as God's voice when God would speak to Moses on the mountain. And it's at the mountain where Moses received the commandments about how the people were to live in relationship with God and in relationship with each other. And so I want to read for us from Exodus chapter 32, where the people are still at Mount Sinai. God is speaking with Moses on the mountain. But before I read that, just to set it up for you, the leadership lesson that Moses learns today is about avoiding disaster. That sound timely for anybody as we think about our lives and our world? Because the people of Israel were facing impending disaster. See, God had called Moses up to the mountain. Moses had gone up and received the commandments, the top ten we're so familiar with, and taken them back down to the people and presented them to the people. And they said, yes, we will obey the Lord our God and do what he's called us to do and be and live the way he's called us to be and live. And then God calls Moses back up the mountain But this time when Moses goes back up the mountain, he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. And the people grow restless. Because Moses had represented for them the voice and the presence of God. And now Moses has been gone for a while. And so amongst themselves, they start talking. We we need something, something tangible to give us a way to acknowledge and recognize and worship our God. And so what they decide is they want something physical, something visible. And so they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they convince him that it's a good idea 
for him to make them something like this. And so he tells them, give me all of your gold, and he melts it all down and, and fashions it into the form of a, of a calf, a cow. And this becomes for the people the focus of their worship. To represent for them God. Even though, just a couple of weeks before probably, they'd received these commandments from God through Moses, and the second one said, don't make any idols for yourselves. And yet, they go to Aaron and they convince him and they form for themselves, fashion for themselves, this idol, this golden calf. And that angers God. Really burns God up. And that's where we pick up the conversation between God and Moses in chapter 32. I'm going to read verses 9 through 16 and we're going to put them up on the screen so that you can follow along. And this is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people, and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone, let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say he had an evil plan to take the people out and kill them in the mountains and so wipe them off the earth? Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you yourself promised. I'll make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And I've promised to give your descendants this whole land to possess for all time. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said he would do to his people. Moses then turned around and came down the mountain. And he carried the two covenant tablets in his hands. The tablets were written on both sides, front and back. And the tablets were God's own work. What was written there was God's own writing inscribed on the tablets. See, Moses avoids disaster for Israel by stepping into his role as an intercessor, an intermediary between the people and God. Really just like the priests who would follow after him. And then just like in the New Testament, Peter says of all the followers of Jesus, we're a priesthood of believers whose role it is to go to God on behalf of the people and go to the people on behalf of God. And learning this leadership lesson about avoiding disaster for Moses means coming to understand then that leadership is not about the leader. Leadership is about the people and God. In a very Jesus, self-sacrificial kind of way. The trouble for us is that in a celebrity culture like this, it, it's hard to separate that. We, we think that leadership is about the person, the leader. 
When really it's about the people in that leader's sphere of influence and about the direction, the purpose, the vision, the mission, the goal of the people. And honestly, I think that's a good lesson to learn even if you're not a Christian. Just to understand your role where you are as a leader is not about you. It's about the people and leading the people towards the purpose, towards the goal. Of course, for those of us who do follow Jesus, our purpose, our goal is the kingdom of God as exemplified in his life and in his teachings, in his death and in his resurrection. And see, here was the point in this conversation with God where Moses comes face to face with the potential that this could be about me. This leadership role could be about me. Because what God says is, Moses, you need to leave me alone for a minute. I'm so mad, I'm hot. Let my anger, my fury burn against the people and I'll destroy them. I'll wipe them all off the face of the earth and I'll start over with you. What a moment for Moses with God. This literally can be all about me. God will start over with me. Never mind all these people, their mistakes, their shortcomings. God's going to use me. And I think that's true for everybody. When and where you lead, however big your sphere of influence is, the temptation arises at some point to think, okay, I'm the one. What I think, what I believe, what I see, what I want to have happen, that's the direction that this is supposed to go. But Moses, in that moment, when God says, Forget about all of them. I'm going to start over with you. Moses' response is, but, but God, these are your people. You love them. You've delivered them. You've promised to be their God and that they would be your people now and forever. God, don't. Have mercy on these people. Give them another chance. And I think it's in the spirit of that self-sacrificial kind of leadership. Moses recognizing that it's not about him. It's about the people and God and that relationship. And it's in that spirit that Moses demonstrates another unlikely leadership lesson when it comes to avoiding disaster and it's really that his life as a leader is going to be lived going up and down the mountain between the people and God and if you read it literally in Exodus starting in 19 chapter 19 when they arrive at Mount Sinai if you read through to chapter 34 which is the time when they leave Mount Sinai and go on in their journey Moses goes up and down the mountain seven or eight times it's this pattern of God calls Moses up the mountain, and so God goes, or Moses goes up the mountain to talk to God. And God says, Here's something that I want you to give or tell to the people of Israel. So Moses goes back down to the mountain and tells the people of Israel what God has said. And then the people of Israel respond. And so Moses then goes back up the mountain and tells God, Here's what the people have said, or here's what the people are doing. And then Moses goes back down the mountain to the people. And then God calls Moses back up the mountain again. Come back up here. The irony of it, by the way, in in this moment, and when the people had made this 
uh, golden calf that angered God. The irony is what Moses had gone back up the mountain to see God about was God was going to tell him, here's, how, here's the tent I want you to build. I want you to build a tabernacle that will be for me the representation of my presence with my people. This will be the evidence that I'm with you and that I'm traveling with you wherever you go. And literally while God is telling Moses, here's how you can construct something that will be my house, my place with you. The people were back down the mountain making a golden calf for themselves so they could have the presence of God with them like they wanted it. And Moses' leadership is lived on the side of the mountain, going up and down, back and forth between God and the people. Moses is, this moment is interceding for the people of Israel with God. And this is where we find a really interesting couple of verses because it says that when God says, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth, Moses says to God, no, please don't. Please relent. Change your mind. And it says that God changed God's mind and decided not to wipe the people off the face of the earth, not to destroy the people of Israel for how they'd gone against God's commandments and made an idol for themselves to worship. It's really interesting to think about God's mind being changed. And if you read on that subject and these verses and the topic in general and how it fits in the greater narrative of Scripture, I mean, you really you can find a couple of different schools of thought. One would tell you that, well, okay, so God already knew everything that was going to happen, knew that some of the people would repent and knew that there was something else that was going to happen. So God pre-relented and, and having known it all, decided not to destroy the people of Israel, even though God said that that's what was going to happen. So God's sovereignty at work. It, there's another school of thought that would say, you know, in that moment God was angry and upset, but what we find about God is that what wins out is, is God's love and God's mercy. So in a sense, God's character is unchanging. And what we see in this story is that ultimately God's mercy and love come to bear and how God interacts with the people. You know, one Bible commentary that I have been reading, written by a guy named Peter Inns, about this passage in particular. He says, really the point of this is not to try to understand the psyche of God. That's not why this story is in there. More it's to understand Moses stepping into his role that God has called him to as a leader, to be an intercessor, an intermediary between the people and God. And this is Moses fully stepping into that role, having this conversation with God about the people, and then ultimately going back to the people and having this conversation with them about God. And so Moses intercedes for the people with God. And God relents and says, fine, I'm not going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then Moses, we see, comes back down the mountain. And unfortunately, Moses isn't as merciful as God. Moses isn't as gracious with the people. Because Moses comes down the mountain, lays into Aaron, how could you do this? Then lays into the people, what were you thinking? It says that he melts down the golden calf, sprinkles the dust of it into the water, makes the people drink it. 
then calls the priest to go throughout the camp and wipe out all the people who didn't come and side with Moses when he came down the mountain. It says 3,000 people were killed that day. And to top it all off, he's so mad he threw the stone tablets down on the ground and broke them that had the commandments written on. Ultimately, he has to go back up and get another set. Which is another intriguing lesson to learn. To see how Moses pled to God for mercy for the people. And God was gracious and merciful and said, fine. But then Moses turned right back around and laid into him himself. Maybe demonstrates to us how fickle the human heart can be, even when God's love is constant. And so, eventually, Moses and the people of Israel set out from the mountain to carry on on their journey and go where God has told them to go. But when Moses came down that mountain and saw that the people of Israel had made for themselves an idol, which was going directly against the commandment of God, he was upset. And it's also worth noting, by the way, that the calf that they had made for themselves, for them, represented God. Sometimes we read that story and we think, oh, well, they turned their back on God and they were looking for some other God to worship. When, in fact, it said when they built the calf, they worshiped God and they gave sacrifices, offered sacrifices to God in front of the calf. It's not that they had turned their back on God. It's just that they had decided that they were going to make God into an image that they could handle. That worked for them. Which is some of the subtlety of that situation. They couldn't handle that Moses wasn't there. That they couldn't see or touch their God. And so they made something that would represent their God for them. Even though God said, you don't need that stuff. I'm here and I'm with you. Instead of knowing and remembering that they'd been made in the image of God, they made God in their image. An image that they could manage and handle. Fit God into their box of how we're going to worship. Not that they'd turned their backs on God, they'd just they'd gotten off track. About what matters and what matters most. Same thing happened with Jesus when the people came to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, we got all these commandments. Which one is the most important? And he said, let me boil it down for you. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. All the other laws and commandments, the teachings of the prophets, everything else rests on that. Love God. And love people. Man, and as we step back and look in our lives and in our world and our circles of influence and beyond, I don't know about you, but sometimes it looks to me like we've gotten off course. And maybe in some ways we've gotten into a situation where we've made God into our own image. God thinks like I do, votes like I do, believes the same thing I believe. Looks like me, acts like me, dresses like me. 
Or, you know what, God, God just wants me to be successful. You know, God, it, it's, it's financial. This is, this is what the world is about. This is what life is about. And this is where happiness is found. I wonder if it might be time for us to melt some golden calves, some sacred cows in our lives, in our world. And Moses, this unlikely leader called by God to be the intercessor, the intermediary, to go between God and the people, is an example for you and me today. Listen, you've been sitting on the sidelines. You're watching all this stuff happening in our world, in our country, in our community, in our places of business, in our homes, in our schools. You're watching it and going, gosh, that's awful. Somebody ought to do something about that. Or, man, I don't know what we can do about that. And in the face of what feels like an impending disaster, God called Moses to speak up. Moses went to God and said, God, please don't wipe them all off the face of the earth. I know they've blown it. We've blown it. Please have mercy on us. And then Moses went to the people and said, listen, you're missing the point. You've made life, and you've made God, and you've made church about so many of these other things, and it's not. In the words of Jesus, it's about loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor. And I'm convinced that every one of us is in that same place with Moses, on the side of the mountain. God's calling you, speaking to you right where you are in your sphere of influence to lead. And to be a part of avoiding a disaster. To love God and to love people. And to say that with conviction right where you are. To the people around you. Because the message of Jesus is one of hope. Grace. Mercy. A fresh start, a new beginning, healing and wholeness. It's the kingdom of God for you and me and for all of us. And God's bringing that to bear more and more and in new ways every day through people like you and me and Moses, even the most unlikely of people in the most unlikely of circumstances. And in the name of Jesus, it's time for us all to step into that role. And to be who God created us to be. To be ready and willing to intercede on behalf of the people in our sphere of influence. There are people around you who need you to be going to God in prayer on their behalf and saying, God, have mercy on us. God, forgive us. God, show us the way. And there are people in your life, in your sphere of influence, who need you to come to them, if nothing else, just by the example of the way you live your life. And say, what matters most is that we love God with everything we have, and we love each other. We love our neighbors. God's calling us to be these people, just like Moses, now, today. Right where we are. 
I don't know if you can tell it from where you're at, but we've, um, we've lined the desert with the people of Israel. Um, okay, so they're Lego figures, but um, just go with me. They're here for a reason. Because what I'm asking you to do today is to be willing to stand up and say, I will go to God on behalf of the people in my circle. And I will go to the people in my circle on behalf of God. In the footsteps of Moses, the unlikely leader. And so these people are here to be representative of our people. All over the world and right where you are, these are your people. So in just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, I'm inviting you to come and take one of these people. And they're neat. We got little characters. Don't shop them, please. But I mean, we got, <laughs> we got everybody from Mrs. Claus to the police to the Statue of Liberty and everything in between. But for you, that, that person, that little figure can represent for you your people. God has called you offer leadership. And so I'm asking you to come get one. And then just while we sing, if you would hold that in your hand and let that be a prayer for you. Just something tangible to focus your prayer on for the people in your life that God has called you to bless and to lead. And then take it with you wherever you go. Put it somewhere. Put it on your desk at work. It'd be a great conversation piece. What's up with that? I got it at church. What? Um, <laughs> put it in your backpack, your, your car, whatever, and just let it be a reminder for you about your role and the work of the kingdom of God right where you are. I've got mine already. And I'm going to ask you if we can pray first. And we're going to pray God's blessing over Legos. Did you think you would do that today? In Chapel Roswell, let's pray. God, we are thankful first and foremost for Jesus, your Son, our Savior, who gave his life to intercede on our behalf so that we could have life the way you created us to know it, to live it. I thank you. Thank you that you've shown us the way in him. God, we thank you for people in the Bible like Moses, unlikely leaders who you called to make the way. Thank you for this story of Moses' life of leadership, lived for a season on the side of the mountain, going back and forth between the people and you, for his example of what it means to lead. It's not about the leader, but it's about you and your people. God, we're thankful for the people that you've put in our lives, the people who surround us, your people, who you call us to bless, to love, to pray for, to serve, to be an example of what your love does in somebody's life. God, thank you for what your love has done in our lives. So now we ask your blessing on our Legos. 
they represent for us your people. That each one of them would be the people in our spheres of influence, in our home, in our school, in our job, in our city, in our country, in our world. God, would you make these figures for us symbolic of your calling on our lives? Would you give us the courage and the faith to follow you, to be your people, your leaders in our circles, in our world today, so that we could point people to you? This is our prayer together. In the name of Jesus, amen.